Lead from the Side is made in partnership with Performance Leadership, a co-venture of Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. Hi, I'm Spencer Casimir, and this is Lead from the Side. Today's guest is Easternwood, former Western Bulldogs player and captain. After being drafted in 2007, he made his AFL debut in 2009, further consolidating his place in the team in 2010. Since that time, he's been decorated with many accolades. 2015 Charles Sutton Medal winner, the club's best and fairest, premiership player and captain of the side in 2016 for its grand final, full-time captain of the Western Bulldogs in 2018 and 2019 seasons, and an All-Australian 2015, as well as two-time Australian International Rules Series representative in 2011 and 2015. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Spencer. Great to be here. So one of the quick things I wanted to talk about before we get into leadership, Mm -hmm. because it is a leadership show, is regarding your experience. The International Series played against Ireland is kind of an interesting one because it's a bit of both games, but at the same time, nobody's game. What's it like playing in an international? (laughs) Um, Well, it was a really exciting opportunity. So um, they were both two very different uh, trips. So in 2011, um, in terms of the international rules as a whole, it was on a bit of a, an unfortunate decline. It kind of dissipated in terms of interest from the top players. And as soon as the top players stopped being involved, um, I suppose the, the shine of the um, accolade of pulling on that jumper had um, dissipated a little bit. So I got the opportunity to play in 2011, having only played, I think, about 10 or 12 AFL games. So the fact that I was even considered to be selected and able to be selected was probably a bit of a a reflection of where the Australian team was at that point. Um, And we got smacked by the the Irish team. We got absolutely um, annihilated. I think we lost by about 50 or 60 points. Yeah, it was quite quite embarrassing, to be honest. And then things changed a little bit for 2015 in the better that the AFL decided to try and increase the allure for the players to want to be a part of that competition. And they made the stipulation that you could only qualify for uh, the team if you'd been an All-Australian representative um, at some point during your career. So qualified, and I was a very late call-up for that trip. And we went to America and played a couple of games there and then went to to Dublin and played. And they beat us again, even with the talent we had on our side. Um, Yeah, they were just so much more skillful. They were the better team on the day. People do inevitably ask me, what do you think are the potentials for Aussie rules and the AFL in the US constantly? Obviously, guys like Mason Cox get a lot of chat. He had a 60 Minutes and now a Sports Illustrated feature. What was your experience actually going over there when you played those games? Is there a pathway for, I guess, not just Americans, but international players that are talented to make the transition over to Aussie rules? And is there even a need for it? There's definitely the opportunity for international players to transition to Australian rules. Um, we've seen fantastic uh, examples of that occurring over a long period of time now. Um in terms of the game being successful overseas, I don't see that as much of a pathway. It's so embedded within our culture and there is so much saturation of all sports now that I think without that historical connection or the fact that you know kids are being born here and they've, they've been gifted um, their, their, their tribal jersey, so to, so to say, and I think that will be very difficult to create just how big that market is and how competitive it is. Uh, for me, I was born into Game of the Week, so I never really got to pick. One thing you did bring up was the idea of being born into the Guernsey, if you would. Do you feel that the draft has actually interrupted that? 
Well, sure, it, it, it has, but there's always that, I suppose, that cost-benefit analysis. Like, to keep that in place, you're going to have an incredibly unbalanced competition. And what we've seen, we need uh, a fair draft system. Otherwise, if you're in a geographical location that doesn't have the, the numbers um, or the talent, you're going to be in... Um, what do you call it, football purgatory for a very, very long time and it's not a great place to be. And even with the um, the balance situation at the moment, there are still some clubs that find themselves in those positions. Yeah, certainly the draft has interrupted it, but I think it's a, a necessary evil, so to say. But that isn't to say that we can't still have consistent identity in terms of how people connect to the team. Absolutely. And I just feel people are moving more now. We're in such a more a transient um, culture than we were, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years ago when that zoning was taking place. I, I just think culturally we've shifted so much with the access to information and uh, with the internet. So even um, the way people would engage with their local club, I think, is very different now. No, absolutely. So on that note, let's let's make the transition. The show is about leadership. Let's talk about how it manifested in your career. What is it like to be a captain Many people will view it as the best player on the team, or maybe you're just a good communicator. But what's something about being a captain in terms of actual leadership that, unless you've been in that position, you wouldn't know? So my introduction to being captain was um, I was made into the leadership group pre-season of 2016, so just towards the end of 2015. And then about two or three months later, I was made vice captain. Then all of a sudden in round three, Robert Murphy did his ACL and I was um, that step in captain. So in terms of what people wouldn't know um, from that captaincy's perspective was just how wildly underqualified and just how I felt like I just did not yet deserve or feel right in that position at that time. I was still very much proving to myself where I sat within the club and it certainly wasn't as the best player. It was yeah, quite a quite a shock to find myself in that position and I was just so fortunate to have the support of, of Bob Murphy. He basically said that, look, mate, no matter what, just do what you've been doing and if you're true to yourself and who you are, you know, the boys will follow you to the moon and back. So what's got you in this position is the way that you've communicated with people in the past, the way that you prepare for games, the way that you perform and give yourself the best opportunity to perform at that level um, and the way that you build relationships and do so in a genuine manner is what is going to give you the, um, the tools that it needs to, to be an effective captain. A lot of people talk about how they just were presented with this or they worked into the position and then everything changed. Your experience is quite unique because your instinct was to change but you also had a good mentor to say, no, don't change, keep being you. But how did the players perceive you now that you were in this role? And how did you manage that relationship? Because a lot of people don't feel like they can maintain that relationship, even though it has to change at some level. For sure. I think it was recognizing that even though I now had that position as captain, that I didn't have to wear the captain hat 24 hours um, a day, seven days a week. You have to be able to come in and out and adapt to the context and adapt to the situation. And sometimes that meant putting on my 10-year-old cap and being a kid and, and playing and you know engaging with that joyful um, and fun side. And I think just that genuine piece, just trying to stay true to yourself and being genuine because the boys can, excuse me, the boys can smell bullshit a mile away. As soon as you're not being genuine to yourself or you're coming from a position to try and, I suppose, engineer an outcome, they can sense it a mile off and they will withdraw. So what I felt with the, cap- the captaincy position to be effective, it was always about building that relationship and building that rapport and building that genuine connection. And if you had that, 
that any difficult conversation um, that was going to come in the future, and they came often, you were much better prepared because you had someone that knew um, that you're in it together and they knew that you were coming from a, a place that was having the club's best interests at heart, their best interests at heart. And that was a really important thing. It never could be about what I wanted because Bob Murphy never made it about him. So it was learning from some really great people. If you're looking to level up your ability to lead and inspire others, then performance leadership is the course for you. Performance Leadership is a unique and exciting professional development course delivered in partnership with Western Bulldogs and Victoria University. The two-day course focuses on practical learning with a range of facilitated activities. Learning is complemented by high-performance sport insights from a range of Western Bulldogs guest speakers and senior industry leaders. Join like-minded professionals at Performance Leadership in Melbourne this October. To find out more, visit education.westernbulldogs.com.au. Run me through just your style, if you had to give somebody to sit down and have that chat. Well, it, it started a long way back. So depending on the level of the relationship, sort of dictated how that conversation would go. So if it was someone who was a my absolute best mate and I'd known for 10 years, I could have that conversation um, in the corridor. Um, thinking just, hey, mate, this is what is not happening. This is what we need to happen. And it was always about those actionable outcomes. How do we get there together? What help do you need? Do you need more information? Can I get it for you? Um, or if you had a probably less solid relationship with a particular player, that might have needed a bit higher touch. You know, that might be going for a coffee. But it wasn't that, you know, cut, copy, paste kind of, this is how we deal with a, a hard conversation. It was always contextual to who the conversation was with and what the information you were delivering. So very much unlike Moneyball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so, yeah. One of my follow-up questions was going to be, is there any difference or do you take a different approach to have a conversation in order to essentially expand? Maybe there's the reality that if we just keep on with fine, it could become something else. Yeah, for sure. So we broke up into groups every two or three weeks and actually have those specific conversations of the vibe check. You know, what are our bugbears over the last two or three weeks? What can we change and what do we need to change? Because what we found was if we spoke as a group of 44, um, all the players would defer to the leaders of the group and wait to hear what we would say. So we ended up splitting our group into first to second years. These kids are 18, 19 years old. They haven't figured out the lay of the land, let alone formed an opinion. They would still give useful information. And then we split our next group from third to seventh years. Um, That's your kind of emerging 24, 25-year-olds that are going to take the step into that leadership position. So that forum gave them a great opportunity to exercise their voice and be accountable for it too. And we then would action those uh, items, taking that thought process from, okay, well, this is the, and a problem. Well, what are we going to do about it? And that was a really important change. The next question had to do with your experience, but also observations, leadership as a captain, a coach, a GM, a club president. Was there a bit of an overarching theme that all of these roles were communicating to you and you were communicating to them? Or did you find them to be different based on their specializations? 
well, there's there's obviously many differences, but I think the one overarching thing that I've felt that's such a key to leadership, um, no matter what position or industry that you're in, is just your ability to connect with your, your group, build those genuine relationships, and then how you can communicate. And if you can't build relationships, you can't communicate um, on a proper level. And if you can't communicate, you can't lead. Because all I felt at the end of the day, leadership was was affecting positive change and affecting positive outcomes for a group. And if you can't communicate and you can't connect, you can't have a positive impact. That's it. So this is more about an experience. How did you feel similarly or even different leading during a time where you're in a grand final run or even just after winning a grand final and now you there's the expectation in the next season? I just remember feeling all of a sudden there was a, a brand new, just a new layer. Yeah, had a lot more eyes on you, a lot more responsibility. What are you doing to justify that position? And then also, are you good? <laughs> are you doing it? Are you doing it well or not? And the other thing I've learned from leadership is it can be really difficult to get feedback when you're at the top because you're always feeding information and the feedback down. So very rarely are there the opportunities to actually be assessed. And it's quite hard to measure as well. You know, we could win a game and I could have been a bad leader. I found, I found that actually quite, quite difficult. So in terms of that um, information, always seeking out information from, you know, my closest group, but also from, from other players of like, what can we do better? What can I do better? Um, or what have you felt that we've done well? You did say how it's more difficult to get that feedback. Ron, how long did it take for you to make that adjustment and find who your core constituents were that you could trust to give just their honest feedback, even if it was wrong? That group was always changing, but I, I found the most effective feedback I got was the people that I had experience with that knew me before being captain and during during being captain. Um, so they could sense if I wasn't being true to, to myself um, or if, yeah, even sense if I was feeling pressure um, or showing any signs that needed a discussion or needed some help in doing, yeah, whatever it may be. It's always hard to even tell whether or not the feedback you're getting from those people that know you the best is accurate because you're always wondering, is this me just changing normally, naturally, as yeah. people do change? Or is there an observation that I have missed that I really need to reflect on? Yeah. So I think what really helped me was that a, a key lesson of people don't remember what you say, they remember how you make them feel. So yeah, even if it was one of my teammates coming and saying, look, this is what you said, and I don't know how you could say it better, all I know is it felt like it wasn't genuine or it felt like it was a bit forced then that is still useful information of saying, okay, well, you don't have a solution for me, but the the feeling, that's true. That can't be disputed. So when we were trying to get information from our group, we weren't asking what they needed or what they thought. It was, well, tell us, if you don't know what you think, tell us how you feel because everyone knows how they feel. Are you feeling supported at the moment? Are you feeling energised? Are you feeling like you have the tools you need on game day to be effective? Uh, do you feel like you're a part of the group? Do you feel like you're valued? All these kind of things. And when we were getting the, the answers to those, then we could really build a picture of where we were at, what was positive, but also what our room for improvement and that possibility for growth was. I think one of the questions that a lot of people don't ask leaders is, what do you do to mobilize yourself when you personally feel in the trenches? 
No, for sure. So I always operated on the basis that nothing's ever as good as it seems and nothing's ever as bad as it seems. So if you if you follow the media and you follow football in that regard, sometimes you're the best in the world and then other times you need to quit and give up because it's just a, a complete disaster, you know. So if you operated on that level, you'd go absolutely mad. And the part of being experienced and learning over time was that nothing ever exists in that vacuum. It's always somewhere in between. What I felt was a really important thing for me as captain was for me to operate and keep that even keel, even after a bad loss or two or three in a row, boys, it's still okay to smile. (laughs) And let's come back to what can we control? We can't control the outcome. We can give ourselves the best opportunity to have the best outcome possible. But all we can do at the moment is focus on X, Y, Z, and that's going to give us that best chance. And I applied the same thing to the group as I applied to my own game. Is there something there? If not, well, keep doing your ice bars and recovering, keep getting a good night's sleep in, um, keep attacking, training with that you know, absolute all-out intensity to give yourself the best opportunity to play um, and perform at the, at the level that you're capable of. One of the things I tell my kids is that if they ask politely, then they have an opportunity to get what they want, but it won't always happen. Mm-hmm. But if they don't ask politely, no then they know they will never get it. Yep. So, That's uh, it. Control what you, you can control. <laughs> That's it. One of the things that a lot of people don't think about is what happens post-playing career. Where does the leadership go? And how do you apply it now? Mm. Where you are still on the field in your own life, but it's a very different experience in leadership in what you're doing now. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm at a very different stage of my career now. Um, I've started all over again. So I'm working as a, a recruiter for a boutique recruitment firm in Melbourne um, and I'm recruiting accounting and finance roles. And since I've had no accounting and finance experience or any recruitment experience, it's been quite a steep learning curve. I suppose in terms of like the leadership stuff, I don't know how I, I would be applying that. Otherwise, I'm just being myself and applying everything that I've learned over my professional life, being, you know, be diligent, learn the process, control what you can control and um, learn, look to grow. I'm going to continue to do that and see what happens. One of the things that I did discuss in terms of just the difference of education between the US and Australian higher education is here it's very linear you go into uni to study a very specific thing that becomes your vocation and career. What do you think that others saw in you to allow you to make this transition where you said, hey, it's not my background and I'm working really hard to catch up and learn this because it is less linear? I think in terms of the transferable skills that have given me the opportunity for this, uh, for this role has been that relationship building piece and the ability to communicate. Um, because recruitment is all, it's all people. Um, so being able to build those connections, be able to have those conversations, extract information, um, be able to take a brief from a client and be able to match and assess like for like of what will be suitable and what won't um, is a really, really key piece. Whether it be communicating in front of a, a group, communicating in front of an audience or communicating in front of a camera or a radio or a podcast like this. There's a lot of um, experience there that can translate, you know, really effectively into the, into the corporate world. The idea of transferable skills and looking for them, how do you do that now when you're actually looking for people to bring on to your team in terms of recruitment? And even maybe somebody in your situation who's got a great background, not in this area, but also highly teachable. 
Well, I suppose you're just trying to ask those those pointed questions that give the um, the person the opportunity to show who they are and does that match what the the type of people in the organisation that our client is and will that will that be a fit? And it doesn't they don't have to be a, a perfect fit because we know that diversity piece is really important. You need different ideas to be able to move forward and at the moment it's a bit instinctual um, based off my entire um, journey with with, with football um, and yeah hoping to uh, apply a little bit more expertise um, as I as I get a bit more ex- direct experience within the role. It's always good to see somebody go from survive to thrive. Yes. How's it gone when you've had to deal with somebody who genuinely is toxic to the group Mm -hmm. what was the outcome so you continue to invest in that relationship and try and maintain those conversations around look last time we spoke we agreed that this is what we were going to do this is how you could do it you're not doing it why and then you're just in that loop of they have found their way to do it and they're basically telling you not to your face but with their actions that they don't care about what the group needs then it becomes a really difficult situation because the element of well is this a wider problem is this person a a single microcosm of what's happening or does this person have the behavior that other people in the group have as well so we'd always talk about our critical mass so as long as we had the, the critical mass of people pushing in the right direction then you can have a couple of people who are pulling in the opposite one. So as a leader, you have to be able to make that decision of, okay, well, is their behaviour enough of an issue for the group that if we continue to ignore it, that they will pull other people with them in their direction? And if that's the case, then that is a really difficult conversation to have because maybe the best solution there is that that player needs to be removed from the group. That happens and it has to happen. But more often than not, working towards a better outcome, you can at least come to some kind of, this is the the three things we want you to do. Just do the top one for us, mate. Like, meet us halfway. Come on. What's a good example of a time that you had to overcome one of these difficult hurdles? Not necessarily having to do with the difficult chat, but something where you experienced a really tough time and how you got your way out of it. Um, I reckon probably my... 2018, we had a, a bit of a period where we weren't performing to where we thought we probably could or needed to. So those were some difficult conversations to have. Um, and a part of it just came down to the, the, the boys being able to, you know, feel like they had the right tools at the right time. But that was just responding to the, as we said before, responding to the context. If you could get one piece of good leadership advice that you know now, sooner, what would it be? People don't remember what you say, they remember how you make them feel. So that's by asking genuine questions and listening. And then if they're giving you valuable information, coming back with um, an actionable outcome, make them feel valued. Yeah, if I could have been, been told earlier days, I would have focused on that much earlier. I think that's a great way to wrap up the show. It's something that we could have had sooner, but we got there in the end and it was not too late. Not too late. Thanks for listening today, and thanks to our sponsors. More information about the show and our guests can be found in the show notes. You can follow the show on Twitter or LinkedIn at Lead From The Side, or myself on Twitter or LinkedIn at BallsOutPhD. If you want to contribute to the show, send us an email at leadfromtheside at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next time, and remember to lead from the side.